There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. And some of the ones that were there came right from here. And when I don't, and I'm so grateful I don't have any names to add to our lost I want to begin to feature stories about some of the men and women from our area who are actually out there being there while we're here safe and sound. In Pompano Beach, you can all uh, give a hand to Airman Mark Lormius, a native of Pompano Beach, Florida, serving aboard the U.S. Navy warship operating out of San Diego, California. He joined the Navy two years ago, and today he serves as an aviation Bosun mate aboard the USS Macon Island. He said, I joined the Navy because I wanted to forge my own path, a path none of my family has taken, said Lormius. I wanted to be the first to leave that trail behind for others to follow. Growing up in Pompano Beach, he attended Deerfield Beach High School, graduated in 2020. Skills and values learned in the Navy are similar, he says, to those found in Pompano Beach. Important advice that was given to me was take pride in what you do, show dedication, be motivated, and make the best of it, said Lormius. I try to remember this advice in all I do for the Navy. And of course, these lessons have helped him while serving aboard Macon Island. Macon Island is an amphibious assault ship. And according to Navy officials, these type of warships embark, transport, and land elements of a landing force for a variety of expeditionary warfare missions. Because of their inherent capabilities, these ships have been and will continue to be called upon to support humanitarian and other contingency missions on very short notice. As a member of the Navy, Lormius is part of a world-class organization focused on maintaining maritime dominance, strengthening partnerships, increasing competitive warfighting capabilities, and sustaining combat-ready forces in support of the national defense strategy. He said the Navy contributes to national defense by being a show of force. The Navy helps keep the world safe. So, you know, a big hand. He, he's originally from Haiti, moved to Florida when he was about 10 years old. And as a child in Haiti, I quickly learned the value of respect, which has been very helpful in my Navy career. So we applaud uh, this young man from Pompano, serving right now, Airman Mark Lormius. I also want to mention there's a West Palm Beach native who is a deployed resiliency counselor aboard another Navy warship in San Diego. Clara Hubberman, a native of West Palm Beach, Florida, serves aboard a U.S. Navy warship also out of San Diego. Hoberman, who is a licensed clinical social worker, has served the government for over 10 years. Today, Hoberman serves as the Deployed Resiliency Counselor. That's the DRC aboard the USS Macon Islands. She must know Airman uh, 
Lormius. Anyway, she said, I joined the Navy because both my grandfathers served in the Navy during World War II, and my brother retired from the Air Force, said Hoverman. I had great role models and strong family support throughout my academic uh, and into active duty to civilian journey. Growing up in West Palm Beach, she earned a bachelor's degree in social work at Barry University in 2012. And then, of course, she found that the Navy had many more lessons for her to learn. She said, I was extremely close to my school, community, and Air Force Junior ROTC unit, FLA 24 at Lake Worth from 2002 to 2005, but we moved to Lajes Air Force Base during my senior year, and this taught me that I can be successful and still reach my goals across the world and in the face of significant change. Of course, that all helps her. Uh, she's on the same amphibious assault ship as uh, Airman, as, uh, I forgot his name already, oh, Airman uh, Lormius. And she said, the things that I am most proud of, I was commissioned in the Navy in 2014, earned my Master of Social Work in 2016, I joined a team in Uganda in 2017, I earned my LCSW certification in 2019, and I completed my first deployment as DRC in 2022 to 23. As Hoberman and other civilians and sailors continue to train and perform missions, they take pride in serving their country in the United States Navy. My favorite part about being an LCSW is that it gives me the opportunity to continue to serve the Navy as a civilian and as Macon Island's DRC, and she's grateful to all those who made her career possible. I'd like to thank my husband, Sean Hill, for his support across my Navy and social work career and for all his support during my time away while serving on board the ship. These are the people who give up normal, everyday life that we all get to enjoy because of their sacrifice. Their families are the ones who have to go to bed at night, never really knowing what tomorrow might hold for their loved one. And so I just wanna you know, take that time on Fridays, just a, a, you know, a single segment of the show, and talk about the incredible people that serve this country in the United States military and just how awe-inspiring it is for me to know that many of them hail right from where we are, where we live. So that's a, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing, and we should all pay respect. You know, I know some soldiers and others have told me they got a little uh, worn out from being thanked all the time, and I said, that's okay, you'll get over it. It's important. It's not just important for them to hear thank you for your service. I think it's more important for you to say it, for you to have to think about that for just a few moments. That's all. When you see somebody, I see veterans all the time wearing their um, hats that tell me retired Navy, retired Army, retired Air Force, and it's important for me to let them know that I understand the sacrifice and that I'm grateful. That's it. It's the same reason I uh, you know, say grace before I eat because God provides me with all that food, sometimes too much, and I get, can commit the sin of gluttony every now and again, but, but I thank him every time I'm able to put a fork into a piece of food and eat it. There are people all over the world, even today, who do not have that luxury. 
who do not have a standing military that attempts to keep them safe. Now, we also have a, an administration that makes me very nervous. And when I say that, it's because they have made all these efforts to limit the amount of information that you and I get about what's going on. They actually did call media organizations and said, this is how we want you to cover the Hunter Biden story. This is how we want you to cover the impeachment inquiry against Joe Biden, the current president. Meanwhile, when they were doing this stuff, all based on lies, they didn't, you know, Donald Trump never called the media and said, oh, by the way, you know, this is from the White House. Stop talking about the impeachment hearings. Stop talking about Liz Cheney. Stop talking about this. No, no, he never did that. But that's because he has, I, I can't say the word. We're not allowed to say it on the air, I don't think. But I'll say it, I can't even say it in Spanish because everybody knows what it is. Huevos. He's got huevos, all right? And that's why many people who are currently serving in the military would be eager to have somebody with huevos back in the White House. Just saying. Just saying. And now, of course, they are making some crazy moves over there at the White House, you know, with this impeachment inquiry underway. Some people think that the whole Hunter Biden indictment is actually kind of a smokescreen. I think Vivek Ramaswamy said that today. Of course, Vivek says some crazy stuff, crazy stuff, but it's in my thought of the day. You'll have an opportunity. But I look at some of the things that are going on on a daily basis all around us, and I think to myself, this is not working. You know, we have got to admit that we have fallen. What? I got a computer that just went live. Okay, let's see if I can turn that off. One of these people who's not that sophisticated with these uh, devices. Okay, there, I got it. Anyway, I want to take a quick break. Stay right where you are. Don't forget to download our app, the 850WFTL app. That way you can get all the news. You can get uh, weather updates. It is, after all, hurricane season. You can also, which is really, I think, cool, listen to everybody's podcast whenever you feel like it. If you missed a show or if you want to hear a No Restraint podcast or Bill's uh, Cool Dad Rules or, of course, the number one podcast, uh, the UAP, Unidentified Alien podcast, you can get all of them. At, by just going to, what is this? What anyway, let me take a break. I'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Album, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Oh my goodness. Me Too keeps going on. Another Fox executive uh, gets uh, fired over some stalking and sex and all the rest of this jazz that's going on. And you just you just got to wring your hands. That's all I can say. Um, I don't know even how far to go with some of the stories that are beginning to surface. I mean, certainly the strike by the United Auto Workers is a humongous story because what it does 
is it's bringing this sort of blue-collar worker group against billionaires in uh, Motor City. And that's exactly what the UAW president, uh, Fain, wanted. He brought the UAW back into the national spotlight after, I don't know, it's got to be decades of nobody ever mentioning them. And what's important, and I hope people understand, I don't look through the world, I don't look at the world through blinders um, that I installed because I want Donald Trump to be the president. But the reason that I want Donald Trump to be the president has a lot to do with stories like this. Because there is a very dwindling, deteriorating middle class in this country. And nobody cares. That's why when Donald Trump came down that escalator and said, you know, the forgotten man and woman, like so many of us, just clamored for more. And now when you think about automakers, they have enormous control and power over large sums of money and where they put their factories. I mean, if they want to put their factories in America, as Donald Trump was sort of insisting, that's better for us. But they can't compete unless they are moving some of these factories outside of the country. And we get that, right? We don't like it. And the UAW likes it even less because they don't have control over workers in Mexico and they don't have control over workers in Japan or anywhere else. So weaponizing a strike the way Sean Fain just did is, I hate to say it, first of all, it wasn't an accident, okay? After less than 24 hours into this, he has literally brought them back into the national spotlight after decades of nobody even mentioning the UAW. So he's not just representing union members, but this is about the middle class. This is about the woman I talked about yesterday who was shopping at Big Lots for groceries. And I've seen this before. I talk about it all the time. And it's always these women who are, I can't say childbearing age, but they're women who are raising children because you can look in their shopping cart and see that. And it's just a a sign, it's not the whole story, but it's a sign that the middle class is struggling. And that's why this national labor movement, and I'm not the uh, biggest fan of unions anymore because I think they abandoned their workers. But this guy, Fain, he has seen a moment, a historical moment for him to say, we're sick and tired of the car makers getting rich and the owners of the car makers getting rich. And I include Elon Musk in that group. He said, we're tired of that. And our members, their wives are shopping for food at big lots. So that's what it is. It's a multi-billion dollar industry with multi-billion dollar corporations and employers who refuse to give their workers a raise, you know? So... The UAW said, those days are over. We'll just strike. See how rich you get when nobody's making your cars. Um, 
this is first and foremost, you need to understand where this is happening. A Ford plant in Michigan is one of the a company, one of the three facilities that's currently striking. And then they're going to sort of do this. It's not going to shut down the whole industry, but it's going to shut down things that are integral. He was standing outside the Ford Bronco SUV and Ranger pickup plant. He said, we're going to be out here until we get our share of economic justice, and it doesn't matter how long it takes. Now think about that. Social justice is the big catchword of the left, of the Democrat Party, right? And these unions have always been in bed with the Democrat Party. I don't think anybody's going to argue with me about that. But look at what's happening. Because now union members, and particularly union members who have strong faith, religious backgrounds, they are now talking about their faith, and they're talking about the middle class, and they're talking about who's going to be able to help them. And I don't think they think it's the Democrat Party. I don't think they think it's Joe Biden. This guy, Fain, is the real deal, you know. Um, he keeps a... a um, one of his grandfather's pay stubs in his wallet as a reminder of where he came from. His grandfather started in a Chrysler plant in 1937, which was the first year that workers joined the union. So this young man, or younger man, joined the union in 1994. And people are paying attention to him. I'm telling you, the media is paying attention to him. I've seen him everywhere on television. And when he said that the union would withhold a re-election endorsement of President Joe Biden, the guy who calls himself the most pro-union president in history, they've spoken, they've met, but the union leader has not shown much support for the president. And in response to comments by the president on Friday, he said, working people are not afraid. You know who's afraid? The corporate media is afraid. The White House is afraid. The companies are afraid. And I've heard this before. I've heard union leaders talk this way. But he's pretty much delivered on his rhetoric without batting an eye. He got General Motors, Ford Motor, and Stellantis to go into crisis mode this week. We've never seen anything like that. Ford CEO Jim Farley told the guys on CNBC, Phil LeBeau, he said, I can't believe Fain and the union, they don't even talk to us. They're not listening to us. There's no counter offers. I don't know what they're doing, but it's not negotiating this contract with us, and it's expired. GM CEO Mary Barra said the same thing during Squawk Box. I'm extremely frustrated and disappointed, she said. We don't need to be on strike right now. Guess what? This is exactly what a union should be doing for its workers. I'm not a big supporter of unions, but think about it. If you're going to join a union and you're going to pay union dues, shouldn't they get you what you want, get you what you need? These people aren't even asking for anything exorbitant. And by the way, if anybody out there is not paying attention to how all the stars are converging to move Joe Biden out of that nomination, wake up. Wake up and smell the motor oil because this labor dispute is going to play into this election. And if I know Donald Trump, 
His next stop on the campaign trail will be Michigan. And it'll be right outside that Ford plant or any of the other plants. Because if these guys are picketing, they're picketing the companies that supported this administration and continue to support this administration and live like fat cats while they're struggling. Trust me, Donald Trump's instincts are gonna take him right to the picket line at uh, wherever, Ford plant in Wayne, Michigan. I'll bet Trump Force One is on its way there right now. All right, let me take a break. We've got a lot of ground to cover. And then at, uh, at 3.45, Derek will be joining me with a little TMZ news. Everybody in Hollywood is getting divorced. I don't know. I guess maybe the close quarters in COVID exposed some real problems. I don't know. We'll find out from Derek. In the meantime, don't touch that dial. I'll be right back. So uh, I don't know if this is going to upset anybody out there because it sure doesn't upset me. Apparently, the Mouse House, Disney, is trying to push back all these rumors that they're going to sell ABC News, ABC. And that would be a lot of uh, shows <laughs> that would be in uh, serious trouble for sure including the the brew the who the view whatever it's called those witches the coven they should call that show um but anytime and there's also like good morning america's on there right poor snuffleupagus and then 2020 so that's all anybody's talking about at disney a merger would mean the usual cost cutting new leadership maybe a change in editorial direction but of course Disney's saying no no we're, we're open to considering a variety of strategic options for our linear businesses at this time we've made no decision with respect to the diversity of ABC or any other property and any report to that effect is unfounded these reports are never unfounded right before you know it <clears throat> we'll all be talking about whoa they just uh turned ABC News over to uh, whatever, Nexstar or Netflix, who knows. So apparently, a big story that just came out, and the only reason I'm going to talk about it is because I don't want people to say that I never talk about stories that make conservatives look bad, because <clears throat> that's not true. If conservatives do stupid stuff, I talk about it. And apparently, you know, one of the superstars of the conservative movement is the governor of South Dakota, Christy Nome. I mean, for a long time, it was like, whoa, will Christy Nome run for president or Ron DeSantis? Which one? And then it was, oh, Donald Trump could use Christy Nome on his ticket as the VP and blah, 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 blah. Now, mind you, Governor Christy Nome, her whole, you know, being uh, has been about faith and family. She talks about it all the time. She's married, she has a bunch of kids, and she talks about how important that is. And now somebody blew the whistle that she's been having an affair with a likewise married man by the name of Corey Lewandowski, the Trump aide. And not particularly the, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like the likely kind of guy. <laughs> but, I, you know, listen, 
there's a, uh, what do they say? There's a nut for every screw. But the problem is they got caught. And they got caught playing around at Mar-a-Lago two years ago playing silly games, which is what drunk people who are having affairs always do. And then apparently, people in the Republican political circles have been talking about this for years. And apparently, Christy Noem's husband moved out of the governor's mansion two years ago. Now, another person that I know, who I believe might be one of the sources of the New York Post article, told me that everybody in the party knows and that the only reason the story is breaking right now is because all the other people who are potential running mates for Donald Trump leaked it. Because if they all knew, right? I mean, you're looking at uh, Marsha, well, got uh, Rick Grinnell, I think he's on the list, Elise Stefanik, the Republican from New York. You have Vivek Ramaswamy, some people are talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene. I don't think that's possible. Maybe Marsha Blackburn, maybe Mike Pompeo. I mean, there's certainly, uh, you know, other, other names on the list, but she was once considered a contender for the top office and then decided not to enter the race and said that no Republican can win the nomination if Trump runs. Why run if you can't win, she asked. And then she endorsed him just last week when they, he came to uh, to South Dakota for a rally. He said, she told him, I, I watched it over and over again because I was surprised at how enthusiastic she was. She said, you made America great again once, let's do it again. I will do everything I can to help him win and save this country. Okay. Now remember, Corey Lewandowski was Donald Trump's first campaign manager the first go-round in 2016, and people are convinced that he had a great, he played a big role in getting Trump elected. There's no question about it. And then, of course, his star began to fade because that crazy Breitbart reporter, Michelle Fields, who I cannot stand, she accused him of manhandling her and unfortunately, there was some video that showed he certainly shoved her. He was charged with one count of simple battery, which was later dropped. And then he got fired from the Trump campaign about three months later because he was having uh, a lot of clashes with then-campaign chairman Paul Manafort. But apparently, he has stayed close to Donald Trump. He's always at Mar-a-Lago. And according to the special counsel Robert Mueller's report on the Russia investigation... Trump summoned Lewandowski to the Oval Office in June of 2017 and ordered him to tell then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions to make a public statement criticizing the probe and direct Mueller to limit the scope of his investigation to future foreign interference in U.S. elections. And Lewandowski arranged a meeting with Sessions, but uh, Jeff Sessions canceled due to a last-minute conflict. And the following month, Trump summoned Lewandowski again and told him that if Sessions did not agree to meet, Lewandowski should tell Sessions he was fired. And Lewandowski passed the order to then White House Deputy Chief of Staff Rick Dearborn, who pocketed it and did not deliver it to Sessions. 
So Corey Lewandowski has been married since 2005 to his wife, Allison Hardy, but has been accused of numerous affairs and also of just acting inappropriately with high-profile women in the Trump orbit. In 2017, pro-Trump singer Joy Villa said Lewandowski had slapped her backside really hard at a holiday party. When Villa told him to keep his hands to himself, he told her, go ahead, I work in the private sector, and then smacked her butt again. It was completely demeaning and shocking, Villa said. Lewandowski also reportedly engaged in an on-again, off-again relationship with then-White House Communications Director Hope Hicks. In 2021, he was removed as chairman of the pro-Trump Make America Again Action Super PAC after the wife of a major donor to the former president accused him of inappropriate behavior. Christy, really? Corey Lewandowski? I would have been much happier if it was like, you know, anybody. Johnny Depp. Anyway, not Hunter Biden, but anybody else. All right, let me... Uh, let me take a break. Don't forget, coming up after me is uh, Eric Erickson, and then the evening guys, and then it's the weekend, and we can wait until Monday when, of course, Jen and Bill will be back with the South Florida Morning Show, then Brian Kilmeade, then Dan Bongino, and then me. But for now, I have one segment left. It's going to be with my son, Derek. Stay right where you are. They say that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But in the case of Derek Kaufman, the apple rolled all the way to L.A. The one thing Derek and his mother share in common, however, is the love for breaking news. TMZ is breaking news faster than the New York Times. So sit back and enjoy the news from Hollywood. It's only the Kaufman family can bring it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Of course, I go straight to Hollywood for all the news that's not fit to print or it is fit to print. And my son, Derek, how you doing, kid? I'm doing well. We don't print it anymore. We just type it and send it out into the world. It's uh, We don't have to wait for presses anymore. This isn't the old newspaper days. <laughs> it's true. Ben, and it comes with like lots of pictures, which is the best part, because, you know, that that video of Drew Barrymore sobbing as she apologizes to the writers is so over the top. How did you did she send that out? You know, that, these are uh, this video, which we which we have saying is is nuts, right? Because she made this choice and she's getting a lot of flack over, you know, starting her show back up again because the writer's strike, even though you can kind of fit within the rules and do things in a certain way and not have writers on your show and do it more improvisationally, it cuts the legs out from under the writer's strike because their whole leverage is shutting down Hollywood and making the studios sweat without content. And the minute they get content from Drew Barrymore or Bill Maher, uh, they there's less pressure to settle with the with the union. So the the WGA is quite upset over this, and she's like, I'm sympathetic, but I'm also going on with my show. Yeah. So she's basically a scab. <laughs> you know, that's the way that she's going to be perceived by a lot of people. And and mm -hmm. and you know, there is sort of a something to that because technically the spirit of the strike is to put your pencils down, and and I mean it in the middle of a show. Writers take that very, very seriously, um, that the studio can no longer have our services in any respect. We're not allowed to promote projects and anything. And to work around it, even if you're allowed to, by having lawyers look at how the rules work, um, it is against the spirit of the strike. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, I mean, I don't know how seasons work. You know, I'm not a big television fan, but it seems to me that 
she should be finished. Like, don't show the season end and it doesn't start up again? Or when does it start up again? You know, there's shows like Drew Barrymore shows are kind of evergreen in in a way that TMZ is. We certainly have seasons, but we also just have an episode every day. (laughs) So I'm not sure that the way people process shows like hers and TMZ, for that matter, is as a season. We're not like Succession, you know, where there's a long character arc. It just kind of comes in. We we tell you about the news. We make some jokes. And uh, and then we do it again the next day. So I, I think her show sort of fits in that mold as well, as does a little bit real time with Bill Maher. I mean, it's just a show that is topical and it just right. seems to be always on. He, he definitely had seasons and hiatuses, but that's not the way people really receive that show. Yeah. And what's what's the writing really involved in, in shows like that, in talk shows? Because I don't have anybody writing my stuff for me. I basically. Well, listen. Yeah. You may not, but they certainly have monologues. Drew Barrymore is an actress, you know. She reads off of a script most of the time. She's mm. Gertie from E.T., you know. Right. She's, she's not writing her own material. And Bill Maher also, he gives a monologue. And even though he's a comedian who writes a lot of his own material, that show has writers uh, mm. who, who help him out. So, no, certainly like Jimmy Fallon, those late-night shows have, have writers to do the skits and to do the monologue at an album. Well. I, I don't watch any of them, so I haven't noticed if there's been any interruptions. Has anybody stopped doing their show? Oh, yeah. Pencils are down. There's a lot of mm-hmm. things in reruns um, because getting a show back up and running, those late-night shows would be hugely disadvantageous to the union. I mean, late-night mm-hmm. shows specifically uh, have a lot of writers, and if they come back, it makes the studios sweat a little bit less. You know, mm-hmm. Then they've got their content, and they're less inclined to give in to the demands of the union. Now, mm-hmm. if the shows come back and they're terrible, it might highlight how important writers are. But there's a big risk because what if the shows come back and they're okay? Then mm-hmm. the writers really have a, a problem. Maybe they get some AI writers and everyone's like, oh, this is good enough. <laughs> and then it's going to be very hard to negotiate a contract. Yeah. Well, apparently a lot of the marriages that everybody assumed were still okay after decades are falling apart. Hugh Jackman being numero uno. He is what? How long has he been married with uh, Deborah Lee? 27 years. I mean, wow. Deborah Lee Furness and, and, and Hugh Jackman, they're one of the oldest Hollywood couples out mm-hmm. there. And, you know, whenever we see them, there's never been any scandal, any whiff of rancor in this marriage. And even the ending seems to be very, very uh, not contentious. I mean, they mm-hmm. said they were blessed to share almost three decades together as husband and wife. Uh, they're moving on to their new journeys. They say their journeys are shifting and they you know, their family will remain a top priority, but they're moving on. Now, uh, you know, their kids are adults now. Their youngest is yes. 18 years old, uh, their daughter named Ava. So in my mind, and we talk about this a lot in the room, that's kind of a successful marriage. They have raised right. their family, mm-hmm. and they want to explore other avenues now. And yeah. so ho- hopefully uh, that's a model for how to break up in a, in, a, in a nice way. You know, it's interesting because when I was growing up, people didn't get divorced. Or if they did, nobody knew it. They lived together and just slept in separate bedrooms. I mean, that was back in the Mm -hmm. 50s and 60s. But I can tell you, even in my own family, my mother and father stayed together until my wedding day. I mean, you had to be, your kids had to be grown or you didn't do this. And, you know, that kind of shifted. And the next thing you know, uh, there's all this single mom stuff going on, including in our own family. Um, You were raised by a single mom. And, and it's just amazing to me how uh, we're sort of seeing that some couples have reverted to some of the old standards, and they seem happier than everybody else. Yeah, listen, these traditions are in, in place for a reason. It's very difficult on children. I, I turned out okay. Jenny turned out okay. But 
it was tough. You know, mm-hmm. you, you were hustling, you had multiple jobs my entire life growing up. And, you know, I would be home with, with my sister. It's a lot easier when you have a helping hand there. We were in a situation where we couldn't really keep that around. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks like you and Deborah, even if they drifted apart, were able to keep it together in a, in a healthy way for their family. And now, you know, good on them. Maybe they mm-hmm. want to, I hope, I hope they'll remain a, a family and you, you're, you're never going to be apart from that person you share two children with. Mm-hmm. But um, the, your happiness is, is very meaningful. Yeah. Well, and then there's Joe Jonas and Sophie Taylor. Apparently that's not uh, not going as as friendly as any of the others. Yeah, that one didn't last quite as long, and it <laughs> seems to be a rockier conclusion. I mean, that one sounds a lot like Joe Jonas was upset that Sophie maybe wasn't sort of pulling her weight in the parenting department, according to him, and he felt like he was shouldering a lot of that burden. That can be a real strain on a relationship. But, you know, she's a successful actress. She's also quite young. She's a few years younger than him and in her 20s still. And maybe having two kids was not what she sort of planned would happen Mm -hmm. in her 20s. And she wants to go out there and be vibrant and young. It's a very sad story. She apparently Mm -hmm. dealt with some postpartum depression after after having the children. So hope it works out. They're both very successful, talented people. And I think um, they'll they'll figure things out. And I hope uh, the kids are all right. Yeah. And, of course, we always have... uh... High hopes for Cardi B and Offset. <laughs> That's one of the funniest relationships. They're, they're one of the realest relationships, though, because <laughs> there was a cute story. They've obviously had their ups and downs with accusations that, uh, you know, Offset has had some dalliances on the side. And he's doing a 24-hour stream where he's playing a video game for 24 hours. And he, he calls Cardi B. There's a story on our website about you know, I'm live streaming for a full day while they watch me do this video game. And she's like, oh, I, I love that. You should be streaming every single day for 24 hours so I can know what you're doing. <laughs> and it's said in death. They're such a funny couple. And he's laughing in that sort of, uh uh-huh, a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but but um, it, they're a very cute couple. I, yeah. I, I really like Cardi B because she yeah. keeps everything right out in the open. Very real. That's for sure. All right. Well, hang in there, kid. You don't need a writer. You guys are funny all by yourselves, and uh, you just do what you do, and we'll talk real soon. Thanks for calling in. That sounds good. Talk to you soon. All right. And that pretty much does it for me this week. You know, I thank you for your time this time until next time. My plan is to be back here on Monday at 3 o'clock if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then, of course, as I always wind up this show, may God bless you and may God bless the United States of America. Have a safe weekend. See you on Monday. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.